0: i <tries>
1: Talal ibn stated Towards the end of the previous Friday sermon whilst relating historical incidents in the life of the Holy Prophet وسلم, an incident was mentioned about Furad bin Hayyan accepting Islam Further details with regards to him accepting Islam are that he was initially imprisoned and was taken as a captive. This has been mentioned in the previous sermon. On the day of the Battle of Badr, he was wounded as well, but somehow managed to evade captivity. On this day, however, he was imprisoned by the Muslims. As soon as Hazrat Abu Bakr saw him, he said, Will you not mend your ways even now? Furat replied, If I escape from Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam this time, I will not be captured again. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, then accept Islam, meaning that if he wished to escape, then there was only one way, and that was for him to accept Islam. Nevertheless, hearing these words from Hazrat Abu Bakr, Furad bin Hayyan set off to meet the Holy Prophet Passing by one of his Ansari friends, he said to him, I am a Muslim. The Ansari companion went to the Holy Prophet and informed him that he had accepted Islam. Entrusting his matter to Allah, the Holy Prophet said, Which means, there are undoubtedly some men among you whose faith we leave to them. That was to say that if he claims to have accepted Islam, then very well, but his matter is between him and Allah. Nonetheless, after this incident, the Holy Prophet released him. Among these details, it is also mentioned that an expedition of Hazrat Zayed bin Hartha was sent towards Kirada in Jama'di al Akhir 3 Hijri. In the life and character of the Seal of the Prophets, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has recorded this very incident in the following manner. After the Muslims had become somewhat free from the attacks of the Banu Sulaim and Banu Qatwan, they were compelled to go forth from their homeland to put down another threat. Until now, for their trade ventures in the north, the Quraysh would generally travel to Syria from the coastal route of Hijaz. However, they had now abandoned this route because the tribes of this region had become allies of the Muslims. Hence, there was less prospect for the Quraysh to spur mischief. As a matter of fact, in these circumstances, they began to consider this coastal route to be a threat for themselves. The threat from the Muslims was not the only reason. Rather, they were no longer able to carry out the schemes they wanted to against the Muslims and cause them harm since these tribes had entered into treaties with the Muslims. In any case, they had now abandoned this route and begun to travel from the route of Najd, which led to Iraq. The tribes of Sulaim and Ghatfan, who were allies of the Quraysh and were deadly enemies of the Muslims, inhabited the close proximity of this region. Along the previous route were those whom Muslims had made treaties with, and along the route which the Quraysh had adopted were those with whom the Quraysh had made treaties with. Similarly, were the tribes that were deadly enemies of the Muslims, the tribes of Sulaim and Banu Ghatfan. As such, in the month of Jumadi al-Akhir, the Holy Prophet ﷺ received intelligence that a trade caravan of the Quraysh of Makkah was to pass by this route of Najid. It is obvious that if the movement of the caravans belonging to the Quraysh to and from the coastal region was a cause of threat for the Muslims, Their passing by the route of Najid was equally, rather, even more dangerous. The reason being that unlike the coastal route, this new route was inhabited by allies of the Quraysh, who, like the Quraysh, were thirsty for the blood of the Muslims. It was very easy for the Quraysh to join forces with them and launch a sudden attack upon Medina at night, or perform any other act of mischief. Then, in order to weaken the Quraysh and push them so that they may be inclined to seek reconciliation, it was necessary to intercept their caravans on this route as well. Hence, as soon as the Holy Prophet ﷺ received word, he dispatched a detachment of his companions under the leadership of his freed slave, Zaid bin Hartha. Chieftains such as Abu Sufyan bin Harb and Safwan bin Umayyah also accompanied this trade caravan of the Quraysh. Zayd performed his duty with remarkable speed and intelligence and subdued these enemies of Islam at a place known as Qirada, situated in Najd. Flustered by this sudden attack, the people of the Quraysh fled, leaving the goods and valuables of the caravan behind. Zaid bin Haritha and his companions returned to Medina with success and triumph with a large value of spoils. Some historians have written that the guide of this caravan of the Quraysh was a man named Furat, who was taken captive at the hands of the Muslims and then set free upon his acceptance of Islam. However, it is ascertained from other narrations that he was an idolater commissioned to spy upon the Muslims. However, later on, after becoming a Muslim, he migrated to
2: Medina.
1: Another incident around the same time was the killing of Kaab bin Ashraf. Kaab bin Ashraf was among the chieftains of Medina and was included in the treaty made by the Holy Prophet Sallallahu However, after agreeing to the treaty, he tried to spread disorder and the Holy Prophet ordered for him to be sentenced to death. The details of this incident have been mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari as follows. Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah anhumah narrates that the Holy Prophet Sallallahu said, Who is willing to deal with Kaab bin Ashraf who has hurt Allah and His Messenger? Thereupon Muhammad bin Maslama got up saying, O Allah's Messenger, would you like that I kill him? The Holy Prophet said, yes. Then Muhammad bin Maslama went to Kaab and said, that man, i.e. referring to the Holy Prophet demands arms from us and he has troubled us. And I have come to borrow something from you. Upon this Garb said, By Allah, you will get tired of him. i.e. they would grow weary of the Holy Prophet and would leave him. Muhammad bin Muslama said, Now as we have followed him, we do not want to leave him, unless and until we see how his end is going to be. Now we want you to lend us a camel load or two of food. Garb said, all right, but you should leave something with me as a guarantee. Muhammad bin Maslama and his companion said, what do you want? Garb replied, leave your women to me. They said, how can we leave our women to you as a guarantee? While you are the most handsome of the Arabs, Garb said, Then leave your sons to me. They said, How can we leave our sons to you? Later, they would be abused by the people saying that so and so has been left as a guarantee for a camel load of food. That would lead us to being disgraced. But we will leave our arms to you as a guarantee. Arms here referred to various weapons of war. They promised that they would return to Garb, and so they went back at night accompanied by Garb's foster brother, Abu Naila. Garb invited them to come into the fort, and then he went down to see them. His wife asked him, Where are you going at this hour? Kaab replied, none but Muhammad bin Maslama and my foster brother Abu Naila have come. His wife said, I hear a sound as if blood is dripping. Kaab said, an honourable man should respond to a call at night even if invited to be attacked. Muhammad bin Maslama went with two men and said, when Kaab comes, I will take hold of his hair and smell it. And when you see that I have got a hole of his head, then step forward and kill him." Garb came down to them, wrapped in his cloak, which smelled of perfume. Muhammad bin Muslama said, I have never smelt a better scent than this, i.e. the scent was excellent. Garb replied, I have got the best Arab women who are the most fragrant and beautiful. Muhammad bin Maslama requested, Will you allow me to smell your head? Kaab said, Yes. He smelt it and made his companions smell it as well. Then he requested, Will you permit me to smell it again? Garb said, Yes. When Muhammad got a strong hold of him, he said to his companions, Get him. So they killed him and went to the Holy Prophet sallallahu and informed him. Further details of Garb being wounded as mentioned in the commentary of Sahih al-Bukhari Sharah Umdatul Qadi, are that when Muhammad bin Maslama and his comrades attacked Kaab bin Ashraf and killed him, one of the comrades, Hazrat Haris bin Auf, was struck by the tip of the sword and was thus wounded. He was wounded by the tip of the sword of one of his comrades his comrades lifted him and swiftly reached Medina, presenting themselves before the Holy Prophet. The Holy Prophet applied his saliva upon Hazrat Haris bin Auf's wound, after which he did not experience any discomfort. The killing of Kaab bin Ashraf has been mentioned in the life and character of the Seal of the Prophets as follows. I will mention it briefly here. The Battle of Badr brought forth the heartfelt enmity of the Jews of Medina and even the exile of Banu Kanga was unable to sway the other Jews towards reconciliation. And they continue to grow in their mischief and disturbances. As such, the incident of the execution of Kaab in Ashraf is also a link in this very chain. Although Kaab was a Jew by religion, he was not actually Jewish by descent. Rather, he was an Arab. His father, Ashraf, was a very clever and cunning man of the Banu Nibhan who came to Medina and developed relations with the Banu Nadir and became their confederate. Ultimately, he managed to gain such power and influence that Abu Rafi bin Abu Al head chief of the Banu Nadir, gave him his daughter in marriage. It was this very daughter who gave birth to Gab, who grew to attain an even greater status than that of his father. This was to such an extent that ultimately he took on such a capacity that all the Jews of Arabia began to accept him as their chief. In addition to being a well-built and attractive man, Gab was also an eloquent poet and a very wealthy man. Through generous spending, he would always keep the scholars and other influential personalities of his nation under his own control. However, from a moral perspective, he was a man of extremely ill morals and was a master in the art of secret schemes and conspiracies. There were no ill morals which he did not possess. When the Holy Prophet migrated to Medina along with the other Jews, Kaab bin Ashraf also participated in the treaty which the Holy Prophet drafted between the Jews with regards to mutual friendship, peace and security and collective defence. He participated in this oath outwardly. However, deep within, the fire of malice and enmity began to burn in the heart of Gab. and he began to oppose Islam and the founder of Islam through secret schemes and conspiracies. As such, it is recorded that every year, Gab would give a large sum of charity to Jewish scholars and religious leaders. However, after the migration of the Holy Prophet, When these people came to collect their yearly allowances, within the course of the discussion, he began to mention the Holy Prophet and inquired of them as to their opinion of the Holy Prophet in light of religious scriptures. They responded that apparently it seemed as if he was the very same Prophet who had been promised in the Torah. Gab was greatly displeased at this response and sent them away referring to them as immensely dull and did not give them their usual charity. When the Jewish scholars lost their bread and butter, after some time, they came back to Kaab and said that they had misinterpreted the signs and that they had contemplated again to discover that in actuality, Muhammad was not the prophet who had been promised to them. This response served the purpose of Kaab and satisfied with their answer, he reinstated their yearly stipend. In any case, this was merely religious opposition, which although was expressed in an unpleasant manner, could not at all be objectionable, and nor could Kaab be brought to task merely on this account. However, after this, the opposition of Kaab took on a more dangerous form, and ultimately, after the Battle of Badr, he began to employ such conduct as was extremely mischievous and seditious and created very dangerous circumstances for the Muslims in Medina. In actuality, prior to the Battle of Badr, Kaab thought that this religious zeal was a temporary one and gradually all of these people would disperse on their own and revert to their ancestral religion. However, on the occasion of Badr, when the Muslims were granted an extraordinary victory and most of the chieftains of the Quraysh were slain, he understood that this new religion would not die out by itself. Hence, after Badr, he resolved to exert his best efforts to abolish and utterly destroy Islam. The first expression of his first heartfelt rancor and jealousy was at the occasion when the news of the victory of Badr reached Medina. Upon hearing this news, at the outset, Garb said, whilst openly announcing that this news seems to be false because it was impossible for Muhammad to triumph over such a large army of the Quraysh and for such renowned chieftains of Mecca to be mixed to dust. If this news was true, then death was better than such a life. When this news had been confirmed and Kaab was assured that the victory at Badr had granted Islam such strength as was beyond his wildest dreams, he was overcome with anger and rage. He immediately prepared for journey and took to Makkah. And upon reaching there, by the power of his persuasive speech and poetic tongue, inflamed the fire that was kindling in the hearts of the Quraysh. He incited them even more. He created an unquenchable thirst in their hearts for Muslim blood, and filled their hearts with sentiments of revenge and enmity. Then, when their emotions had become immensely sparked as a result of his incitement, Gab took them to the courtyard of the Kaaba, and handing them the drapes of the Kaaba, had them swear that they would not rest until Islam and the founder of Islam had been wiped out from the face of the earth. After creating this fiery atmosphere in Makkah, this evil person turned to the other tribes of Arabia, and traveling from tribe to tribe, he incited people against the Muslims. Then he returned to Medina, and whilst composing Tashbib, he alluded to the Muslim women in a very filthy and obscene manner in his provocative couplets. In doing so, he did not even spare the women from the household of the Holy Prophet in his vulgar couplets and had these couplets widely publicized throughout the country. Finally, he hatched a conspiracy to assassinate the Holy Prophet. Under the ploy of a feast, he invited the Holy Prophet to his residence, and with a few Jewish young men, he schemed to have the Holy Prophet assassinated. However, by the grace of God, information was received in advance, and this plan of his was unsuccessful. Thus, when the state of affairs escalated to such an extent, and charges of infraction, of treaty, rebellion, inciting war, sedition, use of foul language and conspiracy to assassinate the Holy Prophet were established, then in light of the treaty which had been settled between the inhabitants of Medina upon his arrival, the Holy Prophet was the Chief Executive and Commander-in-Chief of the Democratic State of Medina, he issued the verdict that Gab bin Ashraf was liable to be put to death due to his actions. The Holy Prophet therefore instructed some of his companions to execute him. However, due to the sedition of Qab, since the atmosphere of Medina at the time was such that if a formal announcement had been made before his execution, there was a possibility that civil war may have erupted in Medina. And there was no telling how much massacre and carnage would have ended as a result. The Holy Prophet was willing to offer any possible and reasonable sacrifice in order to prevent international violence and bloodshed, so that the Muslims and Jews do not wage war, causing them to harm or kill one another. Thus, he instructed Kaab should not be executed publicly. Rather, a few people should quietly find an opportunity to put an end to him. The Holy Prophet assigned this duty to a faithful companion named Muhammad bin Maslama, and emphasised that whatever strategy was devised should be executed with the counsel of Saad bin Muad, who was the chief of the Aas tribe. Muhammad bin Maslama submitted, O Messenger of Allah, in order to kill him silently, we shall be required to say something, which meant that some excuse etc. would be required by which Gab could be lured out of his residence and executed in a secure location. Taking into account the grave consequences which could have arisen if a covert operation had been ruled out, the Holy Prophet said, All right then. As such with the council of Saad bin Mwaz, Muhammad bin Maslama took Abu Naila and two or three other companions along and reached the residence of Garb. They called out Gab from his living quarters and said, Our chief, Ayy Muhammad, sallam, demands charity of us while we are of straitened circumstances. Would you be so kind to give us a loan? Upon hearing this, Gab jumped with joy and said, By God, This is nothing. The day is not far when you shall become averse to him and abandon him. Muhammad bin Maslumah responded, In any case, we have already accepted Muhammad and are now waiting to see the final outcome of this dispensation. But you tell us whether or not you will give us a loan. Of course, said Gab, but you will be required to deposit some collateral. Initially, he asked for their women, then their children, as I mentioned from the narration of Sahih al-Bukhari. Eventually, he was happy to settle with their weapons as collateral. Muhammad bin Maslama and his companions left with a promise to return at night. At nightfall, this party arrived at the residence of Garb with their weapons. When they had led Garb out of his home, they brought him to one side during the course of discussions. After some time, Walking along, they captured him. The companions were already prepared and armed, wielded their swords at once. Finally, Garb was killed and fell to the ground. Muhammad bin Maslama and his companions departed from there and quickly presented themselves to the Holy Prophet wasalam, and conveyed to him the news of his execution. When news of his execution of Garb became known, a tremor rippled through the city and the Jewish people were deeply enraged. The following day in the morning, A delegation of the Jews presented themselves before the Holy Prophet and complained that their leader Kaab bin Ashraf had been murdered in such and such way. The Holy Prophet listened to their comments and said, Are you also aware of the crimes which Kaab is guilty of? Then the Holy Prophet briefly reminded them of all the evil schemes which Kaab was guilty of, i.e. infraction of treaty, inciting war, sedition, use of foul language, and conspiracy of assassination, etc. Upon this, the people became fearful and did not say a word. After this, the Holy Prophet said, At least from here onwards, you would do well to live in peace and harmony and do not sow the seed of enmity, violence and disorder. As such, with the agreement of the Jews, a new treaty was drafted and the Jews promised once again to live with the Muslims in peace and harmony and to abstain from the course of violence and disorder. This treaty was entrusted to Hazrat Ali. Furthermore, nowhere in history is it recorded that after this the Jews ever mentioned the execution of Gaab bin Ashraf and accused the Muslims, for in their hearts they knew that Gaab received the rightful punishment due to him. Hence, Gaab was punished according to the law and custom of that time and the silence of the Jews proves that they accepted this punishment and treatment. Some historians later raised allegations that the Holy Prophet ordered an unlawful killing and it was wrong. Let it be clear that this was not an unlawful killing. It should be remembered that Kaab bin Ashraf had entered into a formal agreement of peace and security with the Holy Prophet. Scheming against the Muslims was out of the question, especially when he had agreed to support the Muslims against all foreign enemies and to maintain friendly relations with the Muslims. By virtue of this treaty, he had also accepted that the Holy Prophet would be the chief executive of the democratic state which had been established in Medina, and that the verdict of the Holy Prophet would be legally binding in all disputes. Hz. Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes, Therefore, historical evidence proves that under this very treaty, Jewish people would present their cases before the Holy Prophet, and he would administer verdicts to them. In these circumstances, ignoring all of his treaties and agreements, Qaab committed treason against the Muslims, as a matter of fact, against the very government of the time. It was not the case that he betrayed the Muslims, but he rebelled against the government because the Holy Prophet was the leader of Medina. He planted the seed of violence and disorder in Medina. He attempted to inflame a fire of war within the country and dangerously incited the tribes of Arabia against the Muslims and conspired to assassinate the Holy Prophet. Furthermore, all of this was done in such a time when the Muslims were already surrounded by difficulties from all four directions. He created extremely difficult circumstances for them. In these circumstances, did the crime of garb not warrant some form of punishment? Thus, such steps were taken. Even today, in countries which are known as civilized, when a criminal is guilty of crimes of rebellion, infraction of treaty, inciting war, and attempting assassination, is such a person not administered the death penalty? Then how can this be objectionable? In fact, what is happening nowadays in Palestine and Israel is on a much larger scale, and it is unjustified in many ways. The second question relates to the method of the execution and why he was secretly killed in the night. With regards to this issue, it should be remembered that there was no formal ruling power in Arabia at the time. Indeed, a leader was elected, but it was not his verdict alone. But every individual and every tribe was free and independent to make decisions. If there were any collective decisions to be made, they would be made by the Holy Prophet. But if there were separate decisions to be made, the tribes could deal with them themselves. In this state, which court of law existed where a case could be filed against Gab and a formal judgment for his execution could be sought? Should a complaint be lodged with the Jews, of whom he was a leader, and who had themselves committed treachery against the Muslims already and would create disorder every other day? Therefore, it was out of the question that this matter should be lodged with the Jews. Should justice have been sought from the tribes of Suleim and Gadfan, who had planned to launch a sudden attack on Medina at night three or four times in the last few months alone? They were also his tribes, so it is clear that no justice could be sought from them. Reflect on the state of Arabia at the time and then contemplate that when a person was guilty of provocation, inciting war, mischievous behaviour, and attempted assassination, and due to his remaining alive was felt to be a threat to their own security and safety of the country, what other alternative was available to the Muslims except for the execution of such a person? It is far more beneficial for an evil and violent man to be executed as opposed to the lives of many peace-abiding citizens being put in danger and the peace of the country being ruined. And Allah the Almighty also states that disorder is worse than killing. In any case, in light of this treaty that took place between the Jews and Muslims after they migrated, the Holy Prophet did not possess the capacity of an ordinary citizen. On the contrary, he had now become the chief executive of the democratic state which had been established in Medina. The Holy Prophet had been given the authority to issue whatever verdict he deemed appropriate with respect to all disputes and political affairs. Hence, in the interest of domestic peace, if the Holy Prophet declared Kaab as being worthy of death due to his mischievous behaviour, what right does anyone possess to object to this verdict of the Holy Prophet and raise an allegation against Islam after 1300 years like the Orientalists of these days do so. Even the Jews took to silence without raising a single objection. During this period, the second marriage of Hazrat Hafsa bint Umar also took place. Hazrat Hafsa was the daughter of Hazrat Umar The details of her marriage to the Holy Prophet are as follows. Hazrat Hafsa's husband fought in the Battle of Badr, and whilst on his way back from the battle, he fell sick and passed away. He participated in the battle, but died during his return from the battle after falling ill. Thereafter, the Holy Prophet married Hazrat Hafsa. The details surrounding this event are recorded in Sahih Bukhari in the following manner. Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar narrates, Hazrat Hafsa bint Umar was widowed by Hunays bin Hodafa al Sahmi, a companion of the Holy Prophet sallam, who fought in the Battle of Badr. When he passed away in Medina, Hazrat Umar said, According to the narration, I met with Hazrat Uthman and mentioned that if he wished, I will marry Hazrat Hafsa bint Umar to you. Hazrat Usman replied, I will think about it. Hazrat Umar reported, I waited for many days. After some days, Hazrat Usman said, I do not feel it appropriate for me to marry at this time. Hazrat Umar reports, I then met with Hazrat Abu Bakr and said that if he wished, I would marry Hafsa bin Umar to him. Hazrat Abu Bakr fell silent and did not give me a reply. Hazrat Umar says that he felt even more strongly about this rejection than he felt about Hazrat Usman's rejection. Hazrat Umar says, I waited a few more days, then the Holy Prophet sent a proposal to marry Hazrat Hafsa, and I gave her in marriage to him. This incident has been recorded in the life and character of the Seal of the Prophets in the following manner. Hazrat Umar had a daughter by the name of Hafsa, who was married to a faithful companion, Khunais bin Hudhafa, who had taken part in the Battle of Badr. After Badr, upon returning to Medina, Khunais fell ill and was unable to recover from his illness. Sometime after his demise, Hazrat Umar began to feel a sense of concern for her second marriage. At the time, Hafsa was over 20 years of age. Due to his simplicity in nature, Hazrat Umar met Usman bin Affan himself and mentioned that his daughter, Hazrat Hafsa, was now a widow, and that if he was interested, he could marry her. However, Hazrat Usman avoided the subject. After this, Hazrat Umar mentioned it to Hazrat Abu Bakr, but he too remained silent and did not respond. At this, Hazrat Umar was deeply saddened, and in this very state of dismay, he presented himself before the Holy Prophet and submitted the entire account. The Holy Prophet responded, O Umar, do not worry at all. If Allah so wills, Hafsa shall find a better husband than Usman and Abu Bakr, and Usman shall receive a better wife than Hafsa. The Holy Prophet said this because he had already intended to marry Hafsa and to give his own daughter, Umm Kulthum, to Hazrat Usman in marriage. Both Hazrat Usman and Hazrat Abu Bakr were aware of this, and this is why they turned down the proposal of Hazrat Umar. Sometime thereafter, the Holy Prophet married his daughter, Umar Kulsoom, to Hazrat Usman. Following this, the Holy Prophet sent a proposal himself to Hazrat Umar for Hafsa. What more could Hazrat Umar have asked for? He very happily accepted this proposal. In Shaban 3 Hijri, Hazrat Hafsa was married to the Holy Prophet and became a part of his household. When this marriage had taken place, Hazrat Abu Bakr said to Hazrat Umar, Perhaps your heart has been saddened on my account. The fact is that I was already aware of the intention of the Holy Prophet, but I could not reveal his secret without permission. Of course, if the Holy Prophet had not intended so, I would have most gladly married Hafsa. One special wisdom in marrying Hafsa was that she was the daughter of Hazrat Umar, who one could say was considered to be the most eminent companion after Hazrat Abu Bakr and he was from among the most intimate friends of the Holy Prophet. Hence, in order to further strengthen mutual relations and to compensate the grief of Hazrat Umar and Hafsa, which they sustained by the untimely demise of Khunais bin Hudafa, the Holy Prophet deemed it appropriate to marry Hafsa himself. Another general wisdom under consideration was that if the Holy Prophet had a greater number of wives, the task of preaching and propagation as well as education and training could be performed on a much wider scale with greater ease and in a more excellent manner among the women who constitute half, if not more than half of the world's population in some respects. Hazrat as Mr. Bashir, Sahib, says, At the time of her marriage, Hazat Hafsa was approximately 21 years of age. After Hazat Aisha Since she was the daughter of an individual who is the most eminent from among the companions, she held a special rank among the noble wives of the Holy Prophet. She also possessed a close relationship with Hazrat Aisha. And except for the odd disagreement, which is nothing out of the ordinary in such relationships, both of them lived together very lovingly. Hazrat Hafsa knew how to read and write. As such, there is a narration in the Ahadith that she learned to write from a lady companion named Shifa bint Abdullah. She passed away in 45 Hijri when she was more or less 63 years of age. Also during this period, Hazrat Imam Hassan was born. Hazrat Imam Hassan bin Ali bin Abu Talib was born in 3 Hijri in the middle of Ramadan. Some claim that he was born in Shaiban 3 Hijri. Some say that he was born one year following the Battle of Uhud while others say that he was born two years after the Battle of Uhud. Alama Ibn Hajar Asqalani, who wrote a commentary of Sayyid al-Bukhari, says that the former view is more correct and reliable. Hazrat Ali named him Harb. However, the Holy Prophet changed his name to Hassan. Seven days after his birth, the Holy Prophet held his akika, shaved his head and instructed, that silver equivalent to the weight of his hair should be given as alms. Umm Fadl once submitted, O Messenger of Allah, I saw in a dream as though one of your limbs is present in my home or in my room. The Holy Prophet said, You have seen a good dream. Fatima will give birth to a child. You will take care of him and feed him alongside Qusum. Umm Fadl was the wife of Abbas the Holy Prophet's paternal uncle, and Qusum was their son. Thus, Hazrat Imam Hassan was born, and Umm Fazl nursed him along with Qusum. Hazrat Hassan bin Ali was once asked to share any memories he had of the Holy Prophet He said, I remember one thing about the Holy Prophet I once took a date from those that were collected for alms and put it in my mouth. The Holy Prophet removed it from my mouth, despite it being covered in my saliva, and put it back with the dates being distributed as alms. Someone said, O Messenger of Allah, what difference would it make with one date? The Holy Prophet replied, alms and charities unlawful for us, i.e. the family of the Holy Prophet. Hazrat Anas bin Malik narrates, that no one looked more similar to the Holy Prophet than Hazrat Hassan. Hazrat Ibn Abbas narrates, once, the Hazrat Hassan was sitting on the Holy Prophet's shoulders. Upon this, someone said, O oh young one, you are riding a most excellent mount. The Holy Prophet remarked, even the rider is excellent. He loved his grandson dearly. Hazrat Bara narrates, I saw the Holy Prophet whilst Hassan bin Ali was sitting on his shoulders. The Holy Prophet was continuously saying, O oh Allah, this is my friend so you should also befriend him. In some narrations, it is also reported that Imam Hassan died as a result of being poisoned. Nevertheless, whilst mentioning the birth of Hazrat Imam Hassan, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Sahib writes, In the events of two Hijri, the marriage of Hazrat Ali and Hazrat Fatima was mentioned. In Ramadan, three Hijri, approximately ten months after their marriage, They were blessed with a child. The Holy Prophet named him Hassan. This is the very same Hassan who received the appellation of Imam Hassan, May the mercy of God be upon him among the Muslims. In his physical appearance, Hassan greatly resembled the Holy Prophet. Just as the Holy Prophet dearly loved his child Fatima, in the same manner, he had a special love for her children as well. On many occasions, the Holy Prophet would say, O oh God, I love these children, you also love them, and love those who love them. Many a time it would so happen that the Holy Prophet would be occupied in Salat, and Hassan would cling to the Holy Prophet. When the Holy Prophet would be in ruku, Hassan would make way and slip through his legs. At times when the companions would stop him from doing so, the Holy Prophet would hold the companions back, saying, Let him be. In actuality, since his clinging to the Holy Prophet failed to divert his attention, the Holy Prophet did not wish to become a hindrance in the childish expression of his innocent love. On one occasion, with regards to Imam Hassan, the Holy Prophet said, This child of mine is a Sayyid, i.e. a chief, and a time shall come when through him God shall reconcile two parties among the Muslims. As such, at its appropriate time, this prophecy was fulfilled. The Promised Islam states, In my view, Hazrat Hassan did an admiral deed by parting from the Caliphate, Thousands of lives had already been lost, and he did not desire for more blood to be spilt. Thus, he allowed Mavia to take over. In other words, he made a covenant with him. Because this action of Hazrat Hassan impacts the Shias, they are not completely pleased with him. We, however, praise them both, i.e. Hassan and Hussein. The truth is, every individual exhibits unique strengths. Hazrat Imam Hassan did not desire for there to be further bloodshed amongst the Muslims owing to the civil war. He kept the establishment of peace in view, while Hazrat Imam Hussein was against pledging allegiance to someone who was a sinner and transgressor, as this would allow for corruption to enter the faith. Both of them had pure intentions. This was the incident of these noble children. I have been reminding everyone to pray for the people of Palestine. I wish to do the same again today. Everyone should continue praying. Now the cruelties are exceeding all bounds. In the name of fighting against Hamas, innocent children, women, elderly and the sick are being killed. This so-called civilized world has abandoned all the rules and principles of war. May Allah the Almighty grant wisdom to the Muslim countries. Approximately seventy-two or seventy-three years ago, Hazrat Muslimaud radhiallahu anhu admonished that the Muslims must become united. They should decide whether they wish to die off one by one and individually if they fail to unite or whether they want to maintain their existence as a single entity. If only these people would understand this today and become united. Now the situation is such that someone told me that people who are going to perform Umrah are being told that once they're there, they cannot mention anything regarding the conflict of Israel and Palestine. These are the instructions given by the government when issuing visas. If this is indeed true, then it is an expression of great cowardice on the part of the Muslim government. In any case, one should fulfill the due rights of performing Umrah. Whilst performing the Umrah, one cannot engage in such talks. However, one should certainly pray for Palestinians who are being oppressed. May all those who are traveling for Umrah remember to pray for them. Nowadays, the Muslim nations do raise a voice, but it is a very feeble one. Though some have raised their voices, however, stronger voices have been raised by non-Muslims and their politicians and governments. May Allah the Almighty develop courage and wisdom amongst the Muslims. The Secretary General of the United Nations has spoken very well and has done so particularly during these circumstances. But it seems as if his voice is given no importance. It seems that when this war finishes or if it escalates and turns into a world war, then even the UN will not remain. May Allah grant wisdom to the world. It seems the world is ushering in its destruction. May Allah the Almighty grant wisdom to those who remain after this destruction and enable them to turn towards God. In any case, we must pray a great deal in this regard. Pray that may Allah the Almighty have mercy on the world. (Sings)
0: Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, nahmudhu wa nasthayinuhu, wa nastaghfirhu wa nahuman ubayh wa nahawakkal waleh, wa nahawzubillah min anfusina, wa min sayyatia محيي الوفل اللهم دللهم ومحيي الوفل اللهم هدي الله the Ladl, the Lissan, the Atahid, the Purba, the Enha, and the Farshai, the Munker, the Baghi.
1: Well, ذكر الله i